tēnā koutou i tēnei āta, kei te whakarunga mai koe ki te reo irirangi kōtahi. Ko Zek tuku ingoa. Ko Miria tuku ingoa. And you're listening to the Radio 1 te reo irirangi kōtahi news show for Rāmere, te waru o, te waru o painga whawha. Coming up on today's program, we have Business as Usual, where we'll be speaking to economics lecturer Trent Smith about tax and the progressive income tax system. After that, we have Mayor Aaron Hawkins to speak on the council reversing their decision to join local anti-Three Waters lobby group Communities for Local Democracy and the Greens' new open letter to the Prime Minister, which calls for rent control. Then we have Dr. Kimberly O'Sullivan joining us to discuss a new study which looks at the damp and mouldy conditions in student rental housing. After that, we'll have the astrology report, and up last on the program, we have our weekly segment Off to Market to check out what's fresh and tasty at the Otago Farmers Market. Before any of that, we have On Melancholy Hill by Gorillas, and then we have, then we have Bonnie Harrison with news and weather. Kakite.
That was Gorillaz up with our Melancholy Hill. You're currently listening to the Radio 1 Ramere News Show. Up next, we have the News and Weather Bulletin. This is the news on Radio 191FM. This is your Radio 1 Tereoirangi Kotahi News Bulletin for Ramere Te Warawa Painga Fafa, Friday the 8th of April. 11,634 new cases of COVID-19 were reported yesterday, with 1,157 reported in the Southern District Health Board, making it the region with the highest case numbers. There are reported 639 COVID patients in hospital and 13 further deaths, bringing the total COVID-19 death toll in New Zealand to 456. The total number of confirmed cases of COVID in New Zealand is 740,430. A University of Otago Auckland epidemiologist warns home rapid antigen tests may be missing 50% of positive cases following increasing reports of people with the virus reporting negative results. Professor Rod Jackson warns pharmacies to perform rats to increase accuracy and reliability of tests. Emotions are running high in the octagon after the council issued a trespass notice to the anti-mandate protesters. Council Chief Executive Sandy Graham issued a formal warning to the protesters who have occupied the octagon since February 11th that they will be trespassed from the octagon if they refuse to leave by Monday the 11th of April. Tensions reached a fever pitch yesterday when an eight-year-old protester kicked a portaloo removal contractor. Police are currently investigating the matter. Russia has admitted to suffering significant troop losses in Ukraine. In an interview with the Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told Sky News earlier today that the troop losses toll sits around 14,000 soldiers. A senior NATO officer estimated that the real body count lies between 7 to 15,000 combatants. Peskov's announcement comes at a precautious time for Russia. Earlier today, 93 countries in the UN General Assembly, including Oteroa, voted in favour of suspending Russia from the Human Rights Council. International support for Russia is dwindling, whereas support for Ukraine is skyrocketing, with Canada pledging a billion Canadian dollars in loans and $500 million in military aid to the war-torn country. That was your Radio 1 News Bulletin for Ramere, Tewaru, or Bainga Fafa. Up next, we have weather. The Radio 191 FM weather. No for Ramere, Tewaru, or Bainga Fafa. The day will be partly cloudy with strong southwesterlies, a gale about the coast during the afternoon and in the early evening. We have a high of 17 with a low of Tiko 10. Apopo for Rahurue. Uh, the Iwa Tako, oh, sorry, Iwa or Bainga Fafa, that it'll be fine apart from some early morning cloud and southwesterlies. We have a high of 18 and 11. Up next, we have Crystal Waters by, oh, sorry, we have Gypsy Woman, She's Homeless by Crystal Waters, and soon we'll be interviewing Trent's, economist Trent Smith about taxation in Aotearoa. Just 
That was Crystal Waters with Gypsy Woman, She's Homeless. And now we are back with Trent Smith from the Department of Economics here at Otago University for this week's installment of Business as Usual on R1 News. Today we'll be talking about tax, reflecting on the last tax year, if people are avoiding tax and what we're paying tax for. Kia ora, Trent. How are you? Hello, Mary. I'm fine, thanks. So in New Zealand, we have a progressive tax uh, system or a pay-as-you-earn taxation system to redistribute the burden of tax in regard to people's income. Does this work, and what are the benefits of a progressive tax system? Um, Yeah, well, right. So the word progressive means tax system means that the word progressive means that as you make more income, your marginal tax rate rises. Right, so. so it scales in accordance. It does. It yeah, scales with, with your, your income. income. And 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 the marginal bet means that it's the tax rate charged on the last dollar of income you made. Right? So we're all uh, – so, so, you know, the bottom tax bracket only pays 10.5%, I think, uh, um, per, yeah, yeah. right, uh, for, for every dollar they make. Uh, but then if, once you make – once you make more than 14000 uh, a year – you jump into the next tax bracket, which is what seventeen percent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and so that sounds scary, jumping to a next a ne- the next tax bracket, right? Oh no! All of a sudden, I've got more tax. But it's really just the dollars above the fourteen thousand where you're paying that higher rate, right? Right. Okay. So even I, like when my tax is calculated, I'm still paying, you know, and I'm on a you know uh, high flutin lecture salary, <laughs> uh, <laughs> poverty wages by international econo- economist standards, but. Uh, but uh, I don't know, not so bad for Dunedin. Um, so even my, so even my income, like that first fourteen thousand, is still charged. I still pay ten and a half percent on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the benefits of a pro- progressive, the reason to make your progressive, uh, inco- make your income tax system progressive, is for for one thing that it's sort of uh, people think it's just right. It's a fair thing to do. So the the people who make more money pay more tax. Cool. Last year, the top personal income bracket was lifted from 33 to 39 cents on the dollar, and the Inland Revenue Department expects that the average self-employed person might declare 13% less income than they did the year before to avoid making it into this tax bracket. What kind of impact will this have, do you think? Yeah, uh, so, so that's interesting. So they're probably right. They're probably, like, high-income people probably will do some of this shifting around of, of uh, you know, costs and revenues to... to, um, to avoid paying that higher tax rate. Mm-hmm. And the IRD has cool data that shows that this happens at the edge of every tax bracket, <coughs> especially for self-employed people, right? So if you're self-employed and a person, um, and you, so when you're running this, the way businesses are taxed is, uh, or the way your business income is taxed is it's revenue minus cost, right? And so uh, if I'm a self-employed person, part of my life is running this business, right? And I'm going to be so, you know, I might have other income outside of self-employment, and that's just, I just pay tax at the regular tax rates. Um, but in my business, I, you know, I only pay on the excess of, excess revenue above cost. Right, right? Yeah. So revenue might be set in stone, right? A dollar comes in, a dollar comes in, you know, mm-hmm. then it comes in. But um, but my cost, you know, there, there's there's often some wiggle room around a particular expense. Was that personal or was it for my business? Mm-hmm. And when there's and I mean and when there's ambiguity around those th- that sort of thing, I mean you would expect people to shade them in the direction of, oh that was a business expense, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that you're necessarily committing tax fraud when you do that. It's just that there's some ambi- ambi- there's always ambi- ambiguity in how you interpret tax laws. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So that's sort of a little uh, sort of the little um, 
hidden secret of uh, business <laughs> taxation. That if you're taxing profit, then there are ways to sort of Just make it, it look like you have less though. profit. Yeah. Okay, go under the table. Now, Act runs on the policy of cutting taxes so that the permanent income tax would drop from 30 to 17.5%. What kind of impact would this have on the economy, on people's health, on everything? Um, well, so... There's a very long answer to this question. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty long. Wisdom. There's actually, it's pretty interesting. The way New Zealand is managing its its economy, it, it's like much of the world is, but it's sort of, um, it's a, it's slightly. I'd argue it's slightly behind the times. So, mm-hmm. um, there's sort of this, um, the you know Milton Friedman's monetarism from the 1970s that says, oh, for one thing, it's most you should mostly use monetary policy to manage your economy through recessions mm-hmm. and um and you know and the softer versions of that of that theory say that well you could still do a little bit of of uh of spending taxing and spending adjustment during recessions to help you get through but in the long run you should be trying to balance your budget and so that was sort of the governing uh, conventional wisdom in economics since the 70s pretty much um but it's changing, and especially since the global financial crisis, mm. um, like, like the, um, you know, the, there's you know Harvard economist Jason Furman, who was a you know an Obama advisor in the U.S. Like he wrote this white paper after the financial crisis, like pointing out that, you know, that old you know Friedman's monetarism, like we don't actually believe it anymore at the <laughs> at the policy level. Like those of us who are actually setting macroeconomic policy, like we actually think that you probably don't necessarily have to worry about balancing your budget. You can actually spend a lot more money, and you probably need to spend a lot more money than we used to think. So paying off government debt isn't, like, the main purpose. Right. So here in New Zealand, right, it's still – everybody assumes it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you've got to pay off this debt. Some, you've got to, like, it's, but New Zealand, like, is a, you know, a sovereign – has a sovereign currency. We issue our own currency. There's, like – there's literally no reason. There's no. It's, there's literally. It would be literally impossible for New Zealand to default on its debt. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. So. No, it is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it is so mind blowing. Th- this whole logic around you have to balance your budget. It's based on this metaphor of you know governments are like households and right. You mm. can only spend mm. so much. And mm. of course, it's true that you can't spend unlimited amounts of government dollars. But there's often some slack in the economy some where Lugaroo. people are unemployed and yeah. resources are being unused. And, yeah. You know, you could, as a government, you could hire those things, boost up the economy without causing inflation or the other things that economists worry about. Thank you so much for coming on to speak about such complicated things such as taxes. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you so much. That was none other than University of Otago economist Trent Smith uh, coming to talk about taxes. Up next, we have uh, Aaron Hawkins talking to us about the DCC's reversal of joining communities for local democracy, as well as rent conditions and the Greens' open letter to the Prime Minister. But first, here we have Beals with the Tax Man. One, two, three, four. <coughs> One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me.
that was the Beatles with Taxman, and before that we were speaking with economist lecturer uh, Trent Smith about tax systems. Now we are joined by Dunedin Mayor Aaron Hawkins to hear about the DCC's discuss, uh, decision to rejoin the Three Waters movement after upturning the uh, move to join local anti-Three Waters lobby group Communities for Local Democracy. We'll also be talking about the Greens' recent open letter to the Prime Minister about rent control. Aaron, how are you going? Uh, I'm good, thank you. And you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Has reversing the decision to join communities for local democracy kind of restored or repaired the relationship with local mana whenua? Uh, it was pretty clear to me that we had to make, and the challenge that had been laid to us uh, was uh, to make a meaningful commitment to the partnership that we have with the local Runaka. Uh, which had certainly been put under some strain uh, by by joining the Communities for Local Democracy group. Uh, this was the most obvious thing that we could do to set ourselves on a our path to being able to heal the damage. Uh, it, it isn't uh, the solution, but what it means is that we are in a position now where uh, we can be back at the table and back rebuilding those uh, those relationships, and, and that process is, is underway, and, and that is encouraging. I, I certainly think that it is uh, salvageable. Um, I, I don't want to think about what would have happened had we stayed the, on the course that we were in, but thankfully we uh, we made a, a, a different decision and are in a position where we are able to uh, restore the mana of that relationship. And so what does the council plan to do to avoid making these same mistakes in future and keeping a good relationship with mana whenua? I think it's important here to make a distinction between the council as an organisation and the council as an elected body. Uh, yeah, we mean the elected body. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, so the, the relationship uh, and with the organisation at, at an officer level, at a staff level, is, uh, has always been strong. Um, I would hope that this would be a salutary uh, lesson to my elected colleagues of what is at stake when we're making these sorts of decisions mm-hmm. and uh, and that you turn your back on uh, our most significant relationship, which is with, with mana whenua, uh, at, um, at great risk to, to that relationship and to the work that we are trying to do uh, together for, for the good of our communities. But uh, politicians uh, ultimately make their own uh, <coughs> value judgments and, and, uh, and, and I can't promise that all of them uh, see that as being a great risk in the way that, uh, that I do and, and thankfully enough of, of my colleagues uh, did but uh, it, it, certainly, um, it certainly remains uh, challenging in local government more generally and I think people are naive if they don't think that the debate that is currently happening around uh, Three Waters reform uh, is is in a, a proxy war for uh, a far bigger and more divisive debate around what it means to be a bicultural nation and how we give effect to uh, the Treaty of Waitangi at, at all levels of government um, because certainly uh, the nature and the tenor of, of some of the discourse around uh, Three Waters reform uh, reflects a far deeper uh, concern about um, race relations. Mm. Now, just yesterday, or quite recently, I should say, the Greens published an open letter to the Prime Minister urging for rent controls across the country, a landlord registry, a rental warrant of fitness, and an increase in housing supply. Do you support all of these proposals? Uh, a, a lot of those are, uh, are council policies, so uh, around the, uh, particularly around the quality of housing. Uh, we, have, um, we have strong views around ensuring that 
um, we have adequate standards for rental accommodation and that those standards are uh, enforced. Um, I don't think it's fair for the burden uh, to sit with the tenant in making sure that those responsibilities are being uh, are being fulfilled by by landlords. Who, I mean, it is a business, and and we people who run uh, bars and restaurants and cafes uh, have to prove that uh, they aren't going to make the people who use their business sick. But that isn't an expectation that we have currently uh, of um, of landlords or or property managers. And and I think until we're in a situation where the the burden of proving that your house won't make someone sick sits with the owner of the business and not the the user of the business to and to put it in crass terms then i think you're always going to have um uh issues with compliance because the power imbalance is so significant between a, a landlord and a and a or a property manager and, and, a, and a tenant. And so something like a warrant of fitness or a, or a, a landlord registry, uh, I think, sadly, will will be necessary. Uh, council had put, have previously pursued doing this at a local level, uh, but ultimately there's nothing that we could do that we, could, we couldn't make it compulsory. And so that means that the people for whom it's most necessary will never sign up for it and the whole thing becomes moot. Like a, this yeah. thing has to be done at a national level and it has to be made um, uh, compulsory compulsory from a, from a regulatory point of view. Uh, as far as rent control goes, uh, it sounds, I mean, it sounds, sounds good. I, I don't understand or haven't, uh, haven't uh, had the opportunity to understand what the implications of that would be um, in terms of trying to manage what any perverse outcomes might be or, or the flow-on implications of that. So it's certainly, certainly open to having that discussion, but it isn't something that I'm involved in. Um, uh, haven't been involved enough until this point. And in terms of housing supply, I mean, we have already uh, obligations under the Resource Management Act uh, to provide adequate supply for housing uh, in the district to, to cope with growing population. Uh, I don't think um, I don't think there is there is the strong link between housing supply and housing affordability that some of the land supply libertarians will argue that there is. I mean, I don't think if you rezoned all of the land uh, uh, to be able to be built on, then all of a sudden you would get um, housing that is affordable for people to uh, to live in, and more importantly, um, affordable rental. And, and our focus in the Housing Action Plan is to try and make sure that we deal with uh, where there is greatest need, and the greatest need in our community is clearly people um, on on low and fixed incomes being able to afford a stable, healthy rental accommodation, and that means uh, that we need to build more public housing. and And council are doing that. We've got twenty million dollars in our ten year budget to increase for the first time in a long time the the the, the number of units that we own. But also we're working actively with Kainga Ora and community housing providers and other developers to help them where we can to increase and Kainga Ora have an ambitious uh, build program in the city and we're working to try and help them make that real because certainly the demand uh, for for public housing uh, isn't is only heading in one direction yeah suddenly going higher <laughs> thank you so much for coming on to talk about these things these topics uh, such as the DCC rejoining three waters and uh, and recontrol what is it I, 
what do you mean? What do you mean rejoining Three Waters? Because <laughs> he said that in the introduction. I don't know what that means. So, uh, I guess not not rejoining per se, but um, leaving the community. We, we have withdrawn from a from a protest. Yes, group. yeah, and, yes, we, yes. and we continue to work with uh, with uh, where, where there is opportunity for us to influence uh, the government's reform program. We will continue to do that. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. leaving the group doesn't mean we don't have concerns about how the system is being designed. It's right. just a question of whether you take a combative approach or a constructive approach. Uh, and and we're keen to do the I'm keen to do the latter for no other reason for plenty of reasons but most importantly because that is how we can uh, advocate for positive outcomes at the same time as maintaining our, our mana whenua relationship. Thanks for that, Aaron. After that, we have Mouldy Peaches by Otipoti Band Space Bats Attack. After that, we'll be talking to Dr. Kimberly O'Sullivan about student rental conditions. Kakite puritia kieraka.
That was Mouldy Peaches by Space Bats Attack, before which we heard from Mayor Aaron Hawkins about the DCC's relationship with Manu Fenua and the Greens' recent open letter to the Prime Minister about rent control. Now we are joined with Dr. Kimberly O'Sevelin from the University of Otago Her Kainga Oranga Housing and Health Research Program to discuss a new survey asking students about their rent conditions. The survey, which involved 522 students, found some distressing revelations about student housing. These revelations included 65% respondents saying they often or always felt cold in their homes and 74% of respondents saying they cut down on heating to save money. Kia ora, Dr. O'Sullivan. Are you there? Yes, kia ora. Thanks for having me on. Now, this is a pretty crazy survey that's come out. What were some of the most shocking facts that you discovered? Um, yeah, I guess we have known that um, students have been cold for a while and um, thought that some improvement had probably been made, but we haven't really undertaken a study directly looking at um, student energy hardships before, so we just kind of wanted to see where we were at and and, um, how bad the situation was. Now, how did you conduct the survey with regards to, say, the methodology of it? Um, Yeah, so we sent out an online survey, um, and it was facilitated by us sharing on social media and also asking um, lots of the student associations to share the survey, so right across um, all kinds of tertiary institutions in New Zealand. And your study found that Māori students were more likely to be living in Māori homes. Why do you think this is the case? Um, well, I think we we know that Māori and Pacific students um, face disparities and um, this is just another reflection of that um, in our results. Do you think that uh, poor living conditions put a lot of stress on the health system, given that mould and damp house, mouldy and damp houses, sorry, can create or worsen long term long term health conditions, especially with regards to respiratory issues? Yeah, that's right. So we know that mouldy homes are linked to respiratory illness, like the development of asthma, or increased asthma attacks if you already have it, um, increased colds, coughs, flu, that kind of thing. Um, and the more mould you have in your home we know the more likely you are to get those conditions. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear that mould is unhealthy. And in New Zealand, we're also putting up with quite a lot of mould compared to other places. Mm. And from the findings of this survey, what are some of the policy solutions that would help improve housing conditions for student renters? I think the current um, healthy home standards are a good start, but really we could do a lot more to lift energy efficiency for housing in New Zealand. Um, So meeting the standards is kind of a minimum of energy efficiency that we would like to see in homes, but we could go so much further and make homes warmer so that we're not needing to still heat almost all homes in New Zealand to keep them up to a warm and healthy temperature. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about this topic, Kimberly. You're welcome. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Kimberly O'Sullivan from the University of Otago telling us about a recent survey on new, on student living conditions. Now we have Aldous Harding with Lawn. Stay tuned for the Astrology Report and our weekly segment Off to Market to hear about what's in season at the Otago Farmers Market tomorrow morning. Puritia kia raka.
Guten Tag, bonjour! Welcome to the commercially and critically acclaimed Radio 1 Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi Astrology Report for Ramere Tewaru or Bainga Fafa. Strap in, people, because this is going to be a doozy. Dear Aries, no naene, you may, up up a, you may open up a whole new path in life as propitious Jupiter forms newfangled sweet cosmic connections with the crossroad of fate. Today you ought to be open to change and opportunity around every corner, Aries, especially on this up-and-coming Dunna-Stunner Arvo when the moon enters a supportive connection to dubious Uranus. This cosmic climate could be significantly advantageous to your famished bank account and turbulent home life, Aries, making it more important than ever that you remain open to hashtag blessings within these cosmic realms. Although you will be getting some fat stacks from the cosmos today, you may also inherit some insomnia. A restless energy could find you later this evening when Luna brawls with the sun, so try to tire yourself out in the day to avoid a sleepless night. Or alternatively, Tie yourself out in the night by hitting up as many red cards as humanly possible. We all know you've got an insatiable party appetite and a liver that just won't quit. Now you earthy and bullheaded Tauruses, as the salacious moon moves into crustaceous cancer, you'll be feeling the need to reflect on and address some long-standing communication problems. This lunar placement can help you speak directly from the heart, Taurus, allowing you to connect with your peers in a more organic fashion. Be sure to get some good lessons from this reflection, Taurus, because this Arvo, your social life, could get a bit animated when Luna blows a gentle peck to sweet Venus. 
Be sure to take steps to reach out to your loved ones, especially if it's been a while since you've touched base. Instead of hitting up the rents for money, ask them how they're doing. Then ask for money. As the Amere comes to a close, make sure you nurture that bombastic mind with a good read or a documentary since you're hungry for intellectual stimulation. There's nothing better than watching Walking with the Dinosaurs to celebrate the start of the weekend, all you Tyrannotaurus Rexes. Yeah. Alrighty, that concludes our astrology report for today. Ramere Tewaru or Bainga Fafa. Coming up last on the program, we'll be talking to the market manager of the Otago Farmers Market in a segment we like to call Off to Market. But first, we have the Chamblaise with corn on the floor. Buritia Kia Raka.
That was Corn on the Floor by the Chamblais, and you are listening to our one news on Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi. It is 10 minutes to 12, and time for our weekly segment, Off to Market, with Michelle Driscoll from the Otago Ma- Farmers Market. Kia ora, Michelle. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, sorry about Hi, that. Hi, Morena. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? Good, thank you. So tell us about what's in season at the moment. What should we be picking up tomorrow morning? Well, there's lots of, there's lots of colours, like beetroot and broccoli and carrots, fennel, leeks, lots of salad ingredients, um, fresh chilies, mm. um, and still lots of flowers around, so I'd grab those while you can. You know, they like, could be, you know, um, only a few weeks of that, that good variety of that. Um, and lots of plums and stone fruit and nectarines and peaches. But I, I think, like, sweet corn at the moment is really good. It's like a dollar a, ha- a cob, um, which if you don't want a whole big bag of it, it's great. Ooh, and I've been, fantastic. like, every every night this week, I've been throwing one in the microwave and cooking it in the in the whole husk. And it's like within three minutes you've got, you know, half your meal. It's great. Yeah, tell us about some other things we should be cooking with what's in season at the moment. Um, well, I mean, all those, all those vegetables, the leeks are like a... each and they go a long way in a meal Um, just throw them with some olive oil and cook them up into soups, feels like soup weather as well at the moment I think you know I think this rude awakening to autumn. Yeah the Um, weather's been pretty bitter mm. (laughs) and also actually there's chooks um, frozen free range chooks which you can get two for $11 um, which is you know that's going to give you a good stock and a good soup and a good meal as well um so that's good a good value value thing to grab sure is now mm. tomorrow morning many students will be feeling pretty dusty after a big night what good uh, like say hot food options are available at the farmer's market for a much needed nourishing breakfast well i've come to the, the perfect weekend for it because we've got tables and chairs back out and we've got um everyone sort of operating again um without having to take food away so we've got abdul's who does great syrian sarge wraps and Bing Chinese crepes. They do amazing crepes with these crispy um, noodles through them. French crepes. Um, there's always, you know, the bacon butty, which is Oof. a crowd favourite. And bagel- uh, bagelos. They've got um, great bagels, which I know they're on campus quite a bit anyway. Um, Slice of Heaven. They do vegan and vegetarian pizzas. And there's a porridge bar if they want something something to stop it all up, um, you know, and nourishing and, and warm. Um, that's always good. Um, but, yeah, there's a good good variety, and there's, of course, great coffee and hot chocolate. Um, Cocoa Lounge have got great hot chocolate. Um, so there's a good... And it's sunny tomorrow, so you can soak up the sun and, you know, enjoy it at the market rather than taking it away. Sounds like a gorgeous day. Mm, yeah, it's good. And actually, apples are great at the moment too, um, $2.80. KG gala a gala raw gala apple they're so crunchy they're yeah super delicious freshly picked um, so it's always good bring cash um, bring cash handy handy thing yeah. a lot of the vendors um, makes life easier yeah yeah cool there should be plenty plenty to to do and see and eat I think and also um, obviously it's the season for hot cross buns so um, you know made from scratch hot cross buns are oh wow pretty pretty good that sounds pretty tasty mm. And, you know, there's picturines and nectarines and a whole lot of um, fruit for, for the week as well. So yeah, it's good. So, sounds good like there's a really good here. range of, of stuff on offer there. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about what's, what's on offer. I'm going to try and come, go down tomorrow, but I do have another show to do at 11 a.m., so I might be a bit pressed for time. I'm also a bit of a sleeper owner. So. <laughs> oh <my laughs> See how gosh. you go. I mean, a lot of those um, ready-to-eats will be right there too.
sort of starting to pack up by 12.30. Um, so, yeah, you usually can get something. True. All right, thank you so much thank for coming you. on, Michelle. You're welcome. Thank you. Cool. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, up next, we have Dark and Long by Underworld. Uh, yeah, we've got a, that going on. <laughs> <laughs>
Kia ora, welcome back to the Radio 1 News Show for Ramere Te Waru o Painga Fafa. We're just wrapping it up here on the news show. So we've had a pretty packed show today. We've had business business as usual with Trent Smith, where we talked to Trent, the Otago University of Otago economist, about taxes and tax systems. Uh, we talked to Mayor Aaron Hawkins about the DCC's relationship with Manu Whenua and the Greens' open letter to the Prime Minister over rent controls. We had a conversation with Dr. Kimberly O'Sullivan from the University of Otago, who spoke about the new study she co-authored on students living in poor rental conditions. We had an astrology report. Which was rather light-hearted. And we also talked to Michelle Driscoll, uh, the market manager at the, Otago's, at the Otago Farmers Market, about what's good in the market. This has been the R1 News for Ramere, Friday the 8th of April. Coming up next is the Friday Noon with Commander Newton. And remember to tune in weekdays 11 to 12 for your dose of current events on Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi. Stay based. Puritia Kia Raka.